This is Together, an Ada Bible Church podcast about the world of marriage, where we attempt to invite you to explore the ways marriage works and doesn't work. From practical ways of learning to biblical inspiration, we invite you to listen to other professionals and couples to help enrich your marriage. Here are your hosts, Rachel Norton and Dr. Kelly Bonwell. Hey, listeners, you are in for a treat today. Uh, this is Dr. Kelly Bonniewell, and today Rachel Norton and I had the privilege of interviewing Brian and Jen Harvey. Uh, they have written the book Operation Thriving Marriage, and uh, they did something we've never had before, and that is today they drove all the way over from Ann Arbor to record with us, and we're so grateful for that. So with that, I hope you enjoy this episode. All right. So hi, Brian and Jen. Great to have you here today. We are excited to have you in today. Where are you in from, Jen? Oh, we're in from Ann Arbor. And side note, Harvey means mighty warrior. So that's kind of fun. Okay, excellent. <laughs> so in from Ann Arbor and you are friends of friends of ours. And we heard about you because you wrote a book on marriage called Operation Thriving Marriage. So we're going to hear a little bit about that this today. But Kelly, first, we were going to get to know Mm -hmm. a little bit about them Mm -hmm. and then kind of how did this book come about and what Mm -hmm. can we learn from it? So Brian, why don't you go first? Like, who are you? Like, what do you do? And we'll get to this love story that blossomed many years ago. But like, what do you do? And then Jen, we'll get to you like uh, for a career and whatnot. For sure. So um, 60% of my time now is stay at home dad. Cool. Um, taking care of the kids. And we've got a ministry based on the book that we started, but um, I was a pastor for 20 years um, on staff at a few different churches. And then um, the ministry that we were doing, we were doing a lot of marriage ministry and people were asking us, well, when's the book coming out? And my answer was, there is no book, take notes. Um, but over time, God led us to this um, ministry and writing the book. And then I've also been in the Michigan Air National Guard for 21 years, been serving oh, there. Thank you for serving. Uh, thank you for your support. Um, one of the great things about that is uh, I was a first sergeant for about six years. And that role in the Air Force, for any of anyone who's listening from the military, Air Force, it's a little bit different because you take out of your main career field for six years to all you do is take care of the airmen. You don't worry about fixing jets, launching jets, all that stuff. You just take care of people. So really... I got to be a pastor for about six years, kind of to all these airmen and they are very willing oftentimes to come talk to the first sergeant about their marriages. And so I had the opportunity to talk to them and grow and learn about that and help them develop in their relationships. That's cool. Jen, how about you? I'm an attorney, so now you're going to turn off my microphone. <laughs> Lawyer, lawyers can talk about something they know nothing about for at least an hour, but we won't, oh, won't keep you that fun. long. That's so, it. so did you hear the one about the pastor who married the lawyer? Oh, no, no. no. That's us for real. <laughs> yeah, but we, we never actually heard a good joke. It sounds like mm. there should be a good joke. So if anyone knows one, mm-hmm. give it to us because we could use that in actually oh, our speaking. Oh, definitely. So. <laughs> uh, they can put it in the comments there after listening go. to the episode. And yes. Jen, what kind of law do you practice? I primarily do estate planning and probate, the wills, the okay. trust, the powers of attorney have done divorce cases though I've, I've been through dozens of divorce but none of them have been mine so that's a good thing yeah that is good so tell us about your family so we've got a 16 year old daughter brenda who's mm-hmm. a fantastic wonderful young lady who uh very creative very um imaginative and her time during all the covid lockdowns and stuff she decided that she would devote that time and she self-published three novels oh my so, so let's <laughs> i, I want to hear about these 
Like what are they? What are they about? Oh, it's it's called the first one's called the conspiracy, and it, it it she was really looking to write books that would speak to teenagers, um, but they didn't have the significant sex and violence that most of the books uh, that are targeted towards young adults do. So um, she did a fantastic uh, job just talking about this and just kind of like alternate governments and who's really in charge in the world and uh, that that grouping and then overcoming some threats. So it she she did a really stellar that job with is. it. Amazing, and, and it would seem that didn't surprise you about this child. No doubt, yeah. She's she's definitely a creative. What, what can I say? Taylor Swift wrote two uh, albums during lockdown. Brenda wrote three books. So there <laughs> so we are. There Taylor, we she, she's got you beat, Taylor. Got yeah. 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 Now, then, Brian, you didn't. You two didn't write this book um, during COVID. It was before COVID. We did write our book um, before COVID. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well. It's we started it so because you'll notice we make an illustration about mask and there so we were finishing it up okay. at the beginning um, of pan, the pandemic and everything and then it published in November of 2020 because yeah, I was thinking she saw you doing so much writing that she, right. so there <laughs> you go what this family does. Yeah. Yeah. join in that's it well she, right. she was already writing. And she was already, I mean, she was, when she was little, she had her arts and craft table. She's always, she's always been creating and always been very active in that. Um, And this was just during the time where she had the time to devote to it without distractions. Mm -hmm. So tell us about your son then. So our son, Jonathan is 11 Uh and he, uh, so we went and saw the movie Top Gun Maverick. So first of all, we watched the original Top Gun because if you're going to go see Top Gun Maverick, you've got to see the original one, right? Mm-hmm. So we watched that one so he would know what it was about. And then we went to the movie theater and saw Top Gun Maverick. And the first thing after the movie, Jonathan leans over to me and says, you know, dad, the music in the first one was better. So like, yes, we're he raising knows. him right. <laughs> so he, um, 11 years old, a lot of energy. He plays baseball, but ever since watching Top Gun Maverick, he has decided he wants to be a fighter pilot. Wow. And so being in the Michigan Air National Guard, my, it's like, dad, do you, do you know any fighter pilots? Like, well, actually I do know a a couple (laughs) fighter pilots. So he had the opportunity to, um, speak to a couple of fighter pilots. These were actually, um, senior officers who no longer fly, but still love, aviation and it was great watching my 11 year old son and these two senior officers geek out over next generation aviation and he's just really excited to do that and he's um, done a couple flights with an organization that takes kids up to fly and he's just all about it very cool so uh what do you guys like to do as a family and what do you guys like to do as a couple we really like watching movies together. Mm-hmm. So we uh, have a movie night and that's Fridays where we uh, order pizza. We um, get like all of the movie theater style candies and popcorn. And we just have a really great time with that. A lot of times we're watching some Disney TV show, Mandalorian, come back. We miss you, baby Yoda, Grogu. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then we'll watch uh, some sort of a, a movie with that. Um, we like going to museums. Um, we like going to the zoo. We've had a membership uh, at the zoo since our daughter was six months months old and now she volunteers as a zoo teen down there which is a pretty cool kind of thing so and then as a couple i mean one of the nice things about our schedule is we don't have to worry as much about the date night um now it's a lot easier with our daughter being old enough um, that we can leave them home together um but we really have a date lunch at least once a week and that's we really enjoy doing that and going out and spending time coffee lunches things like that as a couple it's different for us than a lot of couples because since we both spend so much time at home, because Jen's got an office at the house where she does all the drafting, she meets clients at other offices, but she does her, all the drafting. And then a lot of the content development for our ministry and things like that, I do that at home. 
So a lot of it's just sitting around the kitchen table or me popping into her office and just chit chatting. That's a lot of what we spend our time doing together. We will um, occasionally go to like a museum or something. If it's an exhibit, um, the Detroit Institute of Arts had a Van Gogh exhibit recently that the children weren't very interested in. So that was our date that week as we went downtown Detroit to see that. But yeah, really, you. kind of playing hooky, but you know, the clients are okay with it as long as the work gets done. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you two have been married for how long? 19 years. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about how you met, how you fell in love. How did this happen? We met um, right after I got out of high school and Brian's a year ahead of me in, in schooling and we met through theater. So it was like my best friend at the time was doing a play that Brian was in and um, you were, uh, you Brian had a, a best friend at the time that was in a show that I was in and we just kind of met in the chaos of all of that. I think I was in Midsummer Night's Dream and I, I was Hippolyta Queen of the Amazons, which is hilarious. And Brian was in this musical review show where I saw him him sing and it, and it was just a a really cool thing and we we did theater together um after that uh, but we we've been together just a, a really long time we actually uh dated for seven years before we got married uh, that's part right of that was because we were so young mm-hmm. um jen uh started college and um was going to law school and we knew pretty early on that yeah this is something that it's gonna last we can see that happening but she told me up front that she wasn't marrying anyone until she finished law school and so and that was the summer after she graduated high school. So it's like look at doing the math of that. It's like, okay, so after seven years, she felt sorry for me because I never left. And I and I'd say he, he just hung out. I mean, I would he just kinda hung out and he was there and it was like, Wow, you stayed. That's great. That's so, awesome. I love that you knew that so young. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I, I mean I, you waited to get married for a bit, but at eighteen, nineteen years old, you were talking marriage. Yeah, you that's are. that's crazy. Yeah. I think even in retrospect, kind of looking at that. But yeah, that that was a neat thing. So for me, um, in 2003, graduated from law school at the end of April, started my, uh, on a Sunday, started those bar exam classes the very next day, and then um, took the bar exam at the end of uh, July there. And then two weeks later, got married. And we actually got married the weekend of that big blackout when the power grid went down in 2003. So we were on Mackinac Island. They did have power up there, but we lost a few guests because they couldn't make it for whatever reason, but just a lot of funny stories uh, having to do with some of these adventures to get there. Yeah, so I really held her to that when you're done with law school because I I, I gave her a little bit of cushion so she could take the bar exam, but two weeks later, it's like, okay, come on now. We said after law school, let's get That's right. (laughs) Ready to get this marriage started. Mm -hmm. So Brian, what did you appreciate about Jen's character early on? I think early on Jen's character, it was really... um, her focus on helping others be better. You know, where she, when we first met, we were doing theater and a lot of our relationship revolved around doing theater together. And I was one of the actors and she was the director and producer for the plays. She started her own theater company um, a year before she had met me. And we did theater together for years, um, pretty much the entire time we were dating. And then I think there was one show after we got married and then Jen's law career took off and she didn't have time to be a director as well. Um, But really the focus on, okay, I want other people to be the best version of themselves, whether it's um, helping them with the the legal thing they're dealing with to get over this issue or helping them understand this character that they're going to be performing better or even the conversations. I mean, she wasn't like a lot of typical law school students. Law school is very cutthroat. And Jen was like, I'm not, I'm not taller by stepping on other people's toes and making them cringe. 
you know, so it's like, let's, I, I want to help people. And even her career in the law, her goal was always, I want to do this because I want to make a positive difference in people's lives. Boy, wouldn't everyone love to be known for that? That's pretty incredible. Well, goodness, yeah. I'm, I'm blushing here, even though yeah. our listeners can't see right. me right now. But thank you, Brian. Yeah. How about Jen? How about Brian? I, I, with Brian, um, he and I have always had that very similar set of values. And what I love about him is just how committed I've always seen him be to family. So this was his family of origin and just seeing how important his parents were and how much he, he loves them. And um, it, in seeing that, you know, you knew that that was going to be something that would continue. He also loves Christ so much. And you know, none of us are perfect people, but he um, does what he needs to do to to follow Christ and to obey Christ in very t- tough circumstances. And we do have those um, shared things about we do want people. We do want to help people. We want people to do better. Um, I really believe in what Billy Graham had always said, where Christ loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to to have you stay there. So um, I, I really like to see uh, Brian, in, especially in his investment in new Christians and in couples, that um, he, he knows that God's way is the way to um, to be the most human. Mm-hmm. Also, would love to be known for these sort of things. So, yeah. So, where are we going next, Kelly? Yeah. So, let's talk about this book you wrote. So, uh, the book is Operation Thriving Marriage. And uh, how did it? How did it all come about in terms of you guys thinking about it and and then beginning to write it? So yeah, so like I said earlier, we had been doing marriage ministry together for quite a while. Um, it was interesting, even um, before we were married, when I was doing youth ministry, and then right after we got married, um, I was a youth pastor at a small church and been married, you know, less than a year. And all of a sudden you have these parents coming up to you, asking you to help them with their marriage as they're dealing with raising their teenagers. Like, I'm barely out of being a teenager myself, and I've been <laughs> married for like a minute, and you want my advice um, and so, I'm just trying to play dodgeball with the kids and then not get beat up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know? um, so throughout that time, though, we had the opportunity to serve in ministry and a lot of it was around marriage and it was never intentional. It's never, I wasn't applying for family pastor positions or things like that. And then in the military, it's really interesting. My colleagues and friends that are chaplains in the military have shared with me that at times the cross enters ahead of the chaplain in a bad way because now all the troops, Oh, we got to behave. The chaplain's here. Hey, look, look right. Here comes the chaplain. (laughs) But me being enlisted, um, I'm just one of the guys, but they know my faith. They knew that I was in ministry on the outside. So they were more willing to talk to me in some ways. Like, okay, you're the guy that prays. You're the guy. I mean, anytime they were, were dropping the colorful language, like, Oh, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. Because they had, um, ideas like maybe I would melt if I heard them or something. I don't know. Um, so during that time we were serving and we were counseling, we were doing premarital counseling, we were counseling couples. And finally it became something like, it's clear that what we've been doing, um, God is using and God is blessing. And it seems that it's time to extend this beyond just what we can do. Cause we can only do so much eyeball to eyeball. Um, and so, yeah, so we, really focused on, hey, what have we learned from Jen's legal career, my military career, and uh, my ministry career, and us doing ministry together? What are the common things that couples struggle with? What are the common things? And we, in our conversation, we said, really, it's three big things that if you can catch these little foxes, it says in Song of Solomon, if you can catch these three little foxes, 
we really see that marriages can thrive. And the first one is understanding the purpose of marriage, that the purpose of marriage, God, when he created marriage, when he looked down at the man and said, it was not good for him to be alone. I'll create a helper suitable for him. That first marriage, it wasn't, it's not good for him to be alone because he's sad and lonely and unhappy. It was, they put them together and they had a mission together. It was about holiness. It was about fulfilling God's mission for humanity to represent him and care for this world that God created. So marriage isn't about happiness. It's about holiness. And that's a big thing. When you understand that, it changes how you approach your marriage. The other thing is, what does it mean to become one? We shorthand that in the book as team marriage. But a lot of couples, they get into this um, return on investment and what's in it for me type of approach rather than what is the marriage and how do we become one? And so really helping couples see if your focus is on your return on investment, if your focus is on getting, you're never going to have a thriving marriage and you're never going to fulfill your purpose of being more holy because sin at its root is selfishness. You want to root that out. Your spouse is there to help you, but you've got to do that by becoming one. And then something that we term unexpectations. Every conflict that you've ever been in, every argument you've ever had, has been started with an unmet expectation. You expected something, it didn't happen, and now you're upset about it. Now there's a conflict about it. And those, That's right. un, mm-hmm. those unexpectations are unvoiced, unshared, or simply unreasonable. And that's kind of how that came about, and that was the core of the book that we put together. Would you say that was a common theme with all the couples you were interacting with, that expectations are a challenge for couples? I think that's huge, and and really, if you're looking at not just people who are in the church, but people who are our military members, people who are walking to my office saying, I just got served with divorce papers, now what do I do? Um, or, Or someone saying, I'm in this miserable marriage, I can't take it any longer, I now want to file for divorce. You just see that universally. That's really a human condition. It's not just what's happening in the church. Let's walk through that. Let's talk about that a little bit more in depth. I shared with you guys earlier, I had a friend who listened to the majority of our episodes <laughs> on a trip he had out to Philadelphia. And he came back to me and he said, you know, there's one, there's one episode I'd really like you to do, and that is an episode on... What do you do in a marriage if you don't, you, certain aspects in your marriage where expectations are not being met? Um, Jen, why don't you go first? How would you start that conversation in terms of talking to him and, and like what you talk about in the book? I, I think that the, the universal thing is if um, your expectations aren't being met, that leads to disappointment. And if you leave that disappointment unaddressed, that's going to lead to divorce ultimately, because sometimes it's a it's a slower burn of that, and sometimes it, it's more of an immediate thing. Um, but it's just so important to uh, to address that. So uh, definitely, Dr. Kelly's friend, this episode is for you, and we're going to step up and we're we're going to take care of this for you, my friend. I think a lot of it with expectations, when we were writing the book and I was doing the research on it and looking at different um, advice books and stuff, the idea that we'll just don't have any, that's not realistic. Oh, it's it, awful. You know? That is awful. And, and you don't I, have any expectations of your marriage. And, so and it's if, not that. Oh, sure. Because I think some of the stuff, and, and we've talked about the idea of are they reasonable or not, but I think there's, you're, how can you focus in a society, let alone a marriage, without having proper expectations? Us in America, we're going to be driving on the right side of the street, and if people aren't, aren't keeping with that, it's going to be chaos. And you know, we can, in Michigan, talk about bad drivers and swerving to avoid potholes, but in, in marriage, 
um, you're, you're going to have these expectations of um, fidelity and when am I going to be home in the evening more often than not? How am I going to act towards you? How am I going to act towards extended family and friends and community? And we talk about one of the, the metaphors I like to use with um, expectations. It's kind of like your big toe. You need your big toe to walk. You need your big toe to run. It has to be there. But you don't think about your big toe until someone steps on it. Then the only thing you can think about is your big toe. And that's our expectations. We can't function in life without expectations. But when that expectation, you stub your toe on the coffee table, you trip over something, you, you can't think of anything but that unmet expectation. And it's an ouch, and it stands out significantly. Okay, so unmet expectations. What are some common unmet expectations? So the things that we often see are the same things that are often cited for divorce, and a lot of the unmet expectations um, revolve around sex and money. And there are these expectations that you have, and you didn't talk about it. It's unvoiced. I I expected with money a lot of times, um, it's lifestyle. I expected to live this certain lifestyle. I expected to have this type of household or I expected to have this kind of money. So a couple, oftentimes you hear, I mean, it's cliche now. You've got the spender and the saver in every marriage and all that stuff. And so the spender wanted to have these different luxuries and it wasn't necessarily to be showy. It's not bad. It's like, I want to enjoy life and God's blessed us with this money. So let's Let's not hoard it. Let's not build a bigger silo. Let's use this money. So they want to do those things. And then the saver's like, well, I want to be able to, when we have a flat tire, not put it on the credit card, but pay for it out of just write the check. None of those are bad, but there's a conflict with what you expect. And so that was maybe an unshared expectation. Maybe that was the way you grew up or certainly unvoiced. You didn't communicate that. So then we have to look at, when you have an unmet expectation, the first thing to do is figure out, okay, I'm feeling this anger. I'm feeling this frustration. Why? And sometimes people don't even know why they're mad. People do. How many times have you been in an argument and you look back? It's like, why were we fighting in the first place? Totally. (laughs) It's like, I don't even remember how we got here. Right. (laughs) And so how did we get here? So when you're feeling that the first thing is stop and what's the expectation that wasn't met. And then was it unvoiced? Did you, Did you tell them you wanted them to do the dishes while you were picking up the kids? Did you tell them that you really wanted the new drapes put up today, not sometime next year? You know, what did did you say what you wanted? Um, Or is it something we call it unshared? Is this something that's just so normal for you because your family of origin that you thought it was obvious, but clearly it wasn't. Um, Jen and I in the book talk about the idea of locking doors. And um, I Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say it's 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 about locking doors to like the exterior of the house. So just just the idea of I see this as more of a safety call because you know not not that we were living in a neighborhood where I felt unsafe, but it's like I I just don't want to have the doors unlocked where like anybody could just walk in at any time. And growing up as the son of a military officer, um, growing up we lived in quarters on base all the time. It was a gated community. Uh, it, re- it really was. I mean, it's it's not like what you think of, but we had gates, we had gate guards, we had people with guns making sure that people that weren't supposed to be there. Yeah, had more heavily guarded than most <laughs> gated communities. Um, you didn't think of locking the door in the That's no right. One, no one really locked their doors when they were home. When they left the house, the doors locked, and then at night, you locked the door before you went to bed. Um, many times when I was running up flights of stairs, we lived on the fourth floor and there was no elevator, and when you're a 
eight, nine-year-old kid, you don't plan potty breaks. You just go. And so running up the stairs, there was a couple times where I didn't count all the flights and I walked. It's like, oops, this isn't my house. Close the door, go up to the next one and, and whatever. So for Jen, it's like, well, what if someone walks in the house? My thought was, well, you just tell them to leave. You know, so it's not, it's not a big deal, but that was an expectation that was unshared. My expectation was we, we lock the doors when we go to bed, we lock the doors when we leave, but I'm not worried about it. I'm right here. If you come in my house, I'm going to tell you, get out of my house. Um, no big deal. And if you're supposed to be there, if you're one of our friends, it's like, well, come on in, let's, let's, let's go sit down and, and enjoy the time together. Um, so the first thing was understanding what was the unshared, what was the expectation and why was it not being met? Well, this was something I thought was obvious and it clearly wasn't. Now, what's the core behind this expectation? And for Jen, it was, I don't feel safe. And more to the point, not just, I don't feel safe. I don't, I don't feel like you care about my safety. I, what I'm experiencing, this is, I don't think you care about my safety because you're not doing this. Well, clearly that, that wasn't true. I mean, safety and protecting our family, that that's a value of mine. I, I care about that. Um, so once I understood that no longer was there a conflict of lock the doors. I don't want to lock the doors. It was, oh my gosh, how many locks do you want on the doors? We'll put a chain. We'll put three deadbolts. I mean, what, there what, you are. what do you want? Mm-hmm. Because now I understand I want to communicate love to you and that I care about you. But if we had just stopped at, well, you're not locking the doors. Well, no, I don't want to lock the doors. Then it would have been this crazy spiral rather than dealing with the issue and uh, dealing with it together rather than fighting each other. That's right. I always feel like when couples get into a disagreement or have issues, it's not like you're the two opposing lawyers across the table from each other, you know, potentially yelling about what the points that you're trying to make for your respective clients. Instead, you're the married couple that's coming shoulder to shoulder at the cross as, as we all do as Christians. And then you being shoulder to shoulder, you're pointing down at this map or at this, this trouble, this problem that you're having, and then you work to resolve it together as a team. You talk a bit about how important it is to have a Christ-centered marriage. If somebody came to you and said, you know, that that's not where we're at, you know, Christ-centered, what would be some words of wisdom you would share with them to help make that more of a reality? I think when people say that they um, don't need uh, Christ or they don't have a Christ-centered marriage, of course, if we're talking about somebody who's saying, I want a Christ-centered marriage, it's about inviting Christ into your life and in all aspects of your life, which of course is going to include what your marriage. And in marriage, we have such a unique opportunity as a married couple to reflect a bit of the Trinity, because of course, the Trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. We as a married couple, husband and wife, are one And we get to, again, see that little bit of a glimpse there of the Trinity where we can shine Christ's light into other people's lives and in their marriages. I think a lot of it is um, being a good Christian. And I know that this is a big thing that you like to talk about, Brian. So Jen and I have been in a lot of small groups, a lot of marriage groups, a lot of parenting groups. And why are you here conversations, the first get to know you conversations, like it's always, well, I really want to learn how to be a good Christian husband. I really want to learn how to be a good Christian wife, a good Christian dad, good Christian mom. And for us, it's always been, well, start with being a good Christian. Start with following Jesus because a good Christian husband is a good Christian who happens to be married. A good Christian dad is a good Christian who has children. It starts first with looking at the gospels. What did Jesus say? You know, Jesus said that they'll know you're my followers by your love for one another. 
how are you loving your spouse? How are you loving your children? What does it mean to love in that moment? What does it mean to love your spouse when they're hurting? What does it mean to love your spouse when they've said something hurtful to you, when you're hurting and yet Jesus didn't say, okay, love everyone, love each other when you feel good. Jesus said, love and stop. That's it. So when you're hurting and when they're hurting, when things aren't comfortable, how are you going to love your children? How are you going to love your spouse? And so I think that's the first step to your questions. Like, a couple who hate, we don't think Christ is in the center. First of all, let's, let's talk about where Christ is in your life. Is Christ the center of your life? Maybe that's a conversation. Maybe that's a discipleship thing. And then what does it mean now to love your spouse? Um, some practical things, though, for you as you're listening and thinking about this, if this is you um, and you feel like you're trying to make this more thing, um, perhaps maybe it's one of those things if you've been involved in church a lot, but you feel like you're married, it's not there. Maybe this is a time to, instead of doing things separate, uh, maybe this is a time to, instead of being in a men's ministry or women's ministry, to take some time and join the marriage ministry so that you're serving God together. And then you can see more of how you're serving God together with each other. You're seeing that growth and you're focusing on, you know, sometimes women will be studying and they'll be focusing on parenting or they'll be focusing on money and the men will be focusing on character. And so you're focusing on different aspects of your Christian life. Well, in the married ministry, you're focusing on the same aspect of your Christian life. So I think that's helpful. Um, Some of the things, it's so easy to overlook praying together and taking that time to just, okay, I'm going to pray together and we're going to pray together, not just over meals, but we're going to pray out loud. Um, a, A habit that we have in our family is every night before the kids go to bed, we pray together And it starts with everyone sharing, saying to God what they're thankful for. Hey, Father, I'm thankful for this today. Um, And then, okay, we ask, okay, God, now what do we want to ask God for? Is there a, for the children, is there a test coming up? What are we asking God for? So now the entire family knows what's important and we know how to be celebrating with each other and how to be um, praying for each other throughout the next day. Those are some key things, I think, that are really helpful for a couple that's trying to bring Christ back into the center of their marriage is really, first, make sure Christ is in the center of your life, but then maybe focusing in your ministry and your serving, um, doing it together or growing together in whatever discipleship activity you do, and making sure you bring that into the home. It's like, okay, we're going to pray together. We're going to focus on Christ together. So interesting that you bring that up, too. A lot of my role is working with discipleship, both in a group setting and one-on-one. And so a lot of our couples at ADA, women are in a women's group, men's are in a men's group. Like this week, we even studied in women's group, who is the Holy Spirit and what is his role in our lives, like oh, cool. living out this new this yeah. new life in Christ we have. Think how that's going to help me as an individual, but also in all of my relationships, including my marriage. Yes. But my husband and I, we have not been in a couples group for years and years. And we just joined one a few weeks ago, and already we're having conversations that we haven't had in a long, long time. So I think there's such neat compliments to one another, investing in our own individual growth and our relationship with the Lord and then together. That's beautiful. And I think that the other thing, too, is when you're with married couples— you're able to encourage each other along and you're not just talking about your husband to to a women's group, which I'm sure you're doing anyway, but it's like, and he's right here. So he's involved with that. And you're also able to see each other as a married couple and be encouraging each other as that married couple and staying together. Very true. 
Very so true. I want to go back to uh, unmet unmet expectations. Um, Brian, the the uh, the example you gave about locked doors was a really good one. And the way you and Jen got to the middle was you sacrificed, right? You what you did is you sacrificed for Jen. This is how she grew up. I didn't grow up this way, but I'm going to do what Jen wants to do. And so we're going to lock our doors. Thanks, babe. <laughs> <laughs> now, with some couples, and I have two, two questions about this, and I'll shoot the first one now. Um, with some couples, uh, there's an impasse. We don't agree. Uh, no, I don't want, I know I want to keep our home unlocked. I think it's okay, Jen. Uh, and you're just worrying and no, we're not going to do that. And so sometimes couples can come at an impasse with expectations. What do you, what would you guys say is the next step for that with couples who come at an impasse? Because often that does happen within a relationship. I think a lot of times when you when you hit an impasse, it's just kind of like, well, well, first of all, why are we at this impasse? Who is in in assuming that this in in this is a big assumption? So I, I think it is probably better to speak it out loud. Are we following biblical principles here? You know, are are, are we comporting with what God has for us uh, through Scripture? Are we seeking His will in, in this issue? And sometimes it's you don't want to overthink it, um, but. What is that clash really over? Or sometimes it's like, okay, is this thing more important to my spouse than it is to me? And maybe that's just something where it's like, hey, it's just not so important. And I would just let that piece of it go. Um, But sometimes people will say, well, you know, we'll meet in the middle. We'll meet halfway. But sometimes that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And an example that I look at is if the idea is you're looking at brown shoes or black shoes and you know we're looking at one spouse is in one camp the others in the other you're going to look really dopey walking around with one black shoe and one brown shoe so it's better to just go one way or the other and in situations like that a lot of times Brian and I are looking at this more as what is going to make the marriage go forward in a positive way and and what's going to make the family go forward in a positive way as that decision's being made when you look at Ephesians, um, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for the Lord. And so what's your priority? Is your priority being right in this moment, getting your way in this moment? Or is your priority that gift of a spouse that your God has given you and this marriage that God has put in your life? So here's my second question. Uh, I really like your idea about um, unshared expectations. And one of the things that I have found with couples is that sometimes, I'd say maybe even with some couples, oftentimes sharing your expectations might be scary uh, because some of them are very personal. Uh, you think you're going to get rejection, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what kind of counsel would you give people who, um, how do you get to that place to make sure that you really are sharing your expectations? I think a lot of it depends on what the state of the marriage is, um, because some marriages are what God designed them to be in the garden. They're, they're naked, they're unashamed, and they're able to be very open and honest and sharing. And, and that's what God wants for us, that God wants our spouse to be that most important human relationship that we have, where, where we are one together and that we're able to be transparent with each other like that. But not all marriages are there, 
And if you're listening to this and you're saying, hey, that's not me, you can get there. And God has that for you and God wants that for you and your spouse. So I think sometimes it's the little steps because if it's we've gotten to the point where we don't trust each other, trust can be built over time. Trust can be rebuilt over time. And um, I think taking that step, being that brave one to have that one awkward conversation um, and to, to just set the stage to say, I really want to talk with you about this and this is important to me and and this is an important conversation for us to have in situations like that brian and i will often say it's like you're saying to your spouse here's my heart in my cupped hands and i'm going to transfer this to you for a time while we're having this conversation and um, it's important for us to have this open conversation if something really ticks you off or upsets you and you need to unplug that that doesn't mean you're walking out in the marriage or giving up on it but it means i need to take a step back give me a half hour and then we'll come back to this and continue um dealing with it but it's like if you're sick of me now if we're having some problems now you know we're we have the intent to to go ahead and work this out and we've got a new day ahead of us tomorrow well we talk too about sometimes little things creep in yes. and we're busy especially you know you have kids and and Welcome maybe, to America. Oh, right, right, right. right. Um, and so maybe just tuck that away. It's not that big of a thing, um, but then it gets a little bigger. I think you talked to the foxes, right? Right. You know, Song of Solomon um, says, catch the little foxes. Our garden is in bloom. Catch the little foxes that will ruin our vineyard. Um, and they will. And they will. And so a lot of these things, I mean, when you think of a little fox, so we actually have one that has been in our neighborhood. It's an adult fox now, but you see a baby fox, a fox puppy. It's a cute little fluffy Adorbs. thing in the garden. You know, it, it can't do much damage. It's going to get bigger mm-hmm. and it's going to keep eating. And one of the things that we've experienced in talking to couples is many couples, um, especially couples that are, that are our age and the raising children, Jen and I's age are raising children. We've got children at home. well, that thing is kind of frustrating, kind of bothersome, but I'm not going to deal with it because we got to worry about the kids. Not going to deal with it. And what happens is the kids become the priority. And when you look at scripture, when you look in the garden, when the woman was presented to the man, there were no kids there. They had the marriage, they had what God had given them and they had their plan. And certainly marriage was, hey, go be fruitful, you know, be fruitful, fill the earth. That was a good thing. Children are a good thing, but it wasn't the priority. That marriage relationship, if you're going to be the people that God created you to be and have the marriage that God created you to have, then that relationship, that one flesh has to be first. And by the way, your children are going to thrive more if they see their parents thriving. Yes. Your sons and daughters need to see what it looks like to have healthy marriage relationships, to have men treating women and women treating men the way it ought to be. And you model that for your children. And if your children see you making them more important than your spouse, they're going to find people that are going to make something else more important than them because that's what was modeled. And so part of significant. Absolutely. And and, and it's just that legacy because, you know, Dr. Kelly, I'm sure you're going to, you can just tell us all about people modeling what they're seeing just as as they're uh, growing up and and that just creates such a legacy and just so many generations being like this and i just wonder 
who's listening right now where you're going to say, I'm going to be a disruptor in this really bad pattern that I've seen growing up. I'm going to rise up out of this as God is calling me to do so. And I'm going to start a new thing for more generations. My marriage is going to be blessed. My kids are going to be blessed. My family is going to be blessed for that thousand generations going forward because of the decision that you're going to make now. So true. So true. Now we want to get it right in front of the kids, but we don't always do that. So what do you do when you're like, I'm not modeling great things? Or when you maybe just had an exchange and you didn't model great things, then what? I think your spouse is so helpful for this. There's a pastor we met um, last year. Um, So credit where credit's due that Tim Ross gave us this phrase. And he said, your spouse is you outside of you looking at you, telling you about you. Okay, say it one more time. (laughs) Your spouse is you. You were one. Your spouse is you outside of you looking at you, telling you about you. And so an example of this where not getting it right in front of the kids, um, Jen and I have this where it's like one of us will be having a conversation, a tough conversation, maybe a disciplinary conversation regarding what just happened with a kid. You know, one of our children Mm -hmm. and we're working through this and we don't always get it right and we're too firm or too something or we, we treated them in a way that was inappropriate. The first thing is we never correct each other in front of the kids. The children need to see that mom and dad are one. They need to see that. However, the united front, the united yes. front. <laughs> and, however, there's been times when one of us has had to pull the other side in a room, private conversation, say, hey, this is what I observed right there. And this is what I observed and what was going on with the child in our Brenda or Jonathan. And I think what you did there didn't meet the mark. I think what you did did not have the desired effect. And in those moments, sometimes we have that conversation. Well, let's talk about that. Let me tell you, I think it did. And here's why. And we have that conversation and it's not uh, me against you. It's like, well, here was my goal. And I think I met it. And then I'm not sure. And we have that conversation sometimes like, Ugh. I didn't meet the goal. You're right. That was harsh. I was angry. I was not control of myself. And in those moments, we go back and we sit down with the child and say, hey, you know, mom, mom told me, you know, when I was just talking to you, mom pointed out, I didn't handle that very well. I, um, I, I said something wrong or I was harsh in a way that I shouldn't have been. And now the issue that you were dealing with, still hold the child accountable. Hey, this wasn't okay that you did this, whatever it was, but that doesn't make it okay for me to make a bad choice in how I dealt with it. So I'm sorry for how I dealt with it. I'm sorry for what I did um, for treating you in a way that I shouldn't have just because it's not okay for me to make a bad choice because I needed to correct something you did. That's right. And and it gives the kid the opportunity to exercise forgiveness, which is great because it, it in those bad circumstances, God still has that opportunity for a positive thing to be coming out of it. And the other thing is, I, I think it's important for parents to know that we know that we're not infallible. We make mistakes. And a lot of things that I've heard just narrative wise, especially uh, in the American church, is if we say sorry, 
that that's going to create some some problems. We're not going to be credible any longer. And, and I really think that's the furthest thing from the truth. By admitting to your child that you made a mistake, you did something wrong, you're, you're addressing not only that it happened, but you're able to breathe into that, why that happened. I wasn't following Christ's precepts as, as I should have, and I'm going, I intend to do better, and I'm, I'm very sorry. So that's even showing repentance um, to your child. And I think it builds the relationship, and I think it builds the credibility, because the other thing, too, is in that role where we're raising kids from when they're little through, you know, early adulthood or getting into adulthood, um, it, it, it's a beautiful thing where we're over them, if you will, as parents, but we're always going to be brothers and sisters in Christ, and this is going to last into eternity. So just, again, you're not, you're, you're not on equal ground, just making that very clear with, with your kids, just as far as those roles are concerned as they're growing up, but set yourselves up to have a, a good relationship um, when your kids are going to be adults and, and show them how adults, when they're wrong, behave because you're modeling that. Yeah, I think that's really important. We, we had a saying, and we, we still have this saying in our family. We have two sayings. There could be many more. Uh, one of them is we share in this family. Mm-hmm. Uh, we often said that with our two sons when, you know, they were fighting over Legos. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the other one is we apologize in this family. Yes. And, uh, and that can sometimes mean mom and dad apologize because uh, we don't always get it right and we don't always have our best moments. And so, yeah, I think that's healthy and normal. That seems critical just to just a safe environment. Like I can be in a family like that, right? Where if I need to apologize, then I can get it wrong sometimes. So we have a lot of listeners who know people who are not married yet, who are about to get married. If you were to give a word of advice or two to that couple, why don't we end with that? What would that be? Well, I would say that, you know, if, if you've, Certainly do your your premarital uh, counseling classes. That's huge because it's not even so much necessarily about the class itself. It's about what it brings up. And, and what the topics are that you don't know you haven't talked about those yet. Um, don't follow the advice of the Apostle Paul in this situation because he says, I wish you would remain single like I am. If you, if you feel like God has, <laughs> in, in that one sense, just blow off that advice from the Apostle Paul. Um, but if, if you've um, found this individual who's committed to Christ, you're committed to Christ, you want to grow in that together, you, you're having that understanding, and, and you have, again, that um that that heart um, for um, your your to be spouse um, and to take that premarital counseling, you're you're going to be in great shape. You know, a lot of people skip that step because you think there's not going to be a lot of things you don't already know. Maybe you've been dating for two years, but having that intentional conversation beforehand with someone who knows the questions to ask is is just huge. Absolutely, and it sets you up to succeed, and hopefully it also sets you up to open up conversations about other things uh, just going forward once you are married. Jen and I dated for seven years. Seven years, and during our premarital counseling class, one of the toughest conversations we've ever had in our entire relationship was a question that was brought up in our premarital counseling. All right, go. What was it? It, So it was um, unshared expectations Mm -hmm. of what are we going to spend? How much are we going to spend on family member gifts? And doesn't that sound dopey? It's ridiculous, but that was, we had a hard time. How much are we going to spend on our parents, on our siblings, on Christmas Christmas and birthday gifts? And it was a tough, 
tough conversation. My fault. I own that one. No, yeah. <laughs> it, but it, and it was one of those, we've been dating for seven years and would never have thought to. I love that. Because, that. And I think, that, you know, one of the key things that we've talked about today Uh, So this is especially for our listeners who are about to get married or wanting to get married is to really go after those unshared expectations, you know, and there's, there's so many about spending money on gifts. There's the issue of how many children are we going to have? How are we going to spend our money? How often are we going to vacation? There's just so many. And in a way, I think it's easier to get through those questions before you get married until you after you know until after you get married and so i think uh you know during that premarital counseling phase i think that's really wise well the the other thing that i'd say too is even if you're resolving these issues life doesn't always go according to plan so what i had heard from this wonderful woman credit her pam southard um she said flex and flow with jesus so sometimes you know we we have couples come to us where they have fertility struggles and they're thinking you know we're going to have three kids and maybe that's not something that is in the cards for them biologically speaking um maybe there's something where you expected to be spending holidays in certain ways maybe extended family members pass away. You just need to make sure that you're able to flex and flow with Jesus and flex and flow with each other just as different things are are going to change. Well, I feel like we have just scratched the surface. It has been so great to have you, Jen and Brian. I think everybody should get the book, Operation Thriving Marriage. And we're just grateful that you would join us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. It was great. Together, friends, we thank you for joining us today. If this podcast has impacted your life in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Feel free to comment, share, and like our podcast on your listening platform. For Samuel, Rachel, and I, this has been Together. Tune in next time. You're in for a really special treat. Thanks for listening to Together. We hope you've learned a thing or two. If you find the podcast helpful, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your listening platform, leave a comment and give us a five-star rating. If you'd like more information on Ada Bible Church and its ministries, or someone to pray or dialogue with about your marriage, go online and check out our website at adabible.org.